This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi, friend. Last week, we had a very enlightening discussion on bulimia and anorexia. Well, I want to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Wasner again for another discussion on another eating disorder. This time, we will be talking about a less known eating disorder called the nighttime eating syndrome. I learned about this while reading about obesity medicine and thought it might be something that you may find useful. Let's just dive directly into this and find out more. Welcome, Dr. Wasner. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much again for agreeing to do you know, a show on nighttime eating syndrome, which I think is something that, honestly, I did not know much about. I knew about the other eating disorders even when I was learning or reading in medical school, but this is something that was never touched upon. So is this a relatively new syndrome that we've found out or has this been around for a while? So night eating syndrome has probably been around for a long time, but you're right. It's not something that we are taught about in medical school. And it's really not something that I learned about until I started treating binge eating disorder more specifically. So it is an eating disorder. It's actually a separate eating disorder, even from binge eating disorder. It's captured under otherwise specified feeding and eating disorders. And like you said, it's a disorder of eating at night. And it frequently accompanies binge eating disorder, but it is actually a standalone eating disorder. So what exactly is this nighttime eating syndrome then? So nighttime eating syndrome is an eating disorder that's characterized by people who have excessive food-seeking behavior at night. So typically, these people struggle with very low appetite in the morning. In fact, some people, if they try to eat in the morning, they will actually vomit because they are so food-averse in the morning. Through the day, they may eat somewhat normally, normal meals, etc. But the characteristic of this is that the majority of their calories are consumed after their nighttime meal and overnight. In addition, these patients often struggle with dysphoria or low mood that grows through the day and irritability, and very frequently describe to me that they can't go to sleep until they feel excessively full. These are patients who may try to go to sleep and may even fall asleep for a while and then wake up and go and eat overnight and then go back to sleep. One of the things that's very important to know about this disorder is it's not a disorder that's amnestic, which means patients do remember eating overnight. There are some specific entities, usually associated with medication, where patients may forget that they ate overnight. They may have amnesia for night eating behaviors. This eating disorder is not that. So patients do know that they have food seeking behavior. And oftentimes there is an intense amount of shame associated with this eating disorder and these eating behaviors. So it can be very, very hard for patients to be forthcoming with their physicians, with their family, with their treatment providers about this eating disorder. So, you know, it's very interesting that they're eating mostly at night. How are they different from, you know, the night owls, as we call them, people who are awake most of the time at night, they're better off, they're working better at night. How is this different from that? 
So I think the thing that marks the difference with this is the amount of distress and dysphoria associated with it. So this is not something that people want to have happen. They would very much rather that they could eat their night meal and then go to bed with the rest of the world. But the disorder itself drives them to seek out this sort of excessive feeling of fullness and excessive food seeking behavior at night. And, you know, oftentimes they're not able to do other things. This is not your night owl that's working overnight and working on a paper and, and mindlessly sort of munching overnight. They are goal-driven in their food-seeking behavior. So they are going to eat and maybe not able to do anything else, watch TV, et cetera. And they can't stop until they reach that sort of excessive fullness. So what are the other symptoms that you know people can kind of look for in terms of these night eating syndrome? So, you know, I think that these patients often, like I said, they struggle with some mood concerns. So that feeling of dysphoria or things don't feel quite right through the day, and that will increase over into the evening and overnight. The irritability that's not really relieved until they are able to eat, they oftentimes struggle with being unrested because they are actually up overnight eating. And they may actually have significant circadian rhythm difficulties in terms of getting restful sleep overnight. And and I think that, you know, we can anticipate then that all of those things together. So eating the majority of your calories at night, not getting restful sleep, having just a lot of that sort of awakeness and irritability can lead to sleeping disorders. So not getting good sleep, being unrested during the day, and that can lead to weight gain that's unwanted and especially sort of central adiposity and that kind of inflammatory weight gain. And uh, what age does it typically, you know, start at? And do parents have to worry about it or is it primarily in adults? So this is also very interesting. So even though this disorder has probably been around for a while, we don't have a tremendous amount of data on it. So in fact, there is not a pediatrically described night eating syndrome. And also, it wouldn't surprise me if there aren't families out there that are dealing with this and are sort of just chalking it up to normal childhood behavior or a hungry adolescent. And again, we get back to the amount of distress that this is causing the person who has this disorder. You know, certainly teenage boys need to eat a lot of food and they will have, and they have different sleep cycles and that's completely a normal part of their development, but they are not shamed and distressed by it. So when we're thinking about patients that feel so much shame and embarrassment that they can't even tell their family, they're so distressed by it that they're hiding their behaviors and also they're eating in a way, in a secretive way. These are things that I would say families should be watching out for. I see. And is this lifelong? I know we touched upon you know this in the previous episode. So what about nighttime eating syndrome? Is this something that stays with you for life or does it just go away on its own? This is another question that we really don't have the answer to because we don't have enough good data. You know, I think that there are some interventions for night eating syndrome. And so there certainly is treatment. And I think people can have resolution of night eating syndrome. And also, I don't think that we know enough to know if people may struggle with this for a lifetime. I see. This is another question. How does this cause obesity? Because if they're not consuming the calories during the day, but they're consuming calories at night, um, how does this change uh, in terms of their, how does this cause changes in terms of their body weight? So, you know, I think at the crux of a lot of eating disorders is the body is not using nutrition appropriately. And so for people who struggle with overeating eating disorders, they still may be eating more calories than their body needs. They, 
eat the majority of their calories at night, but that doesn't mean that they don't eat the necessary calories during the day. So they may be eating above what their body needs for nutrition. And then in terms of the kind of foods that people often seek out with night eating syndrome, they're often more sugary foods, more carb heavy foods that can be difficult for people who are struggling with their weight. And then I think, again, you know, eating overnight, not getting good sleep, interrupting your sleep hygiene, having difficulty with getting up and getting out of bed in the morning, physical activity, those sorts of things. All of this together comes with a picture that predisposes people to be carrying more weight than their body might want to because they're sort of, they're in a state of inflammation. Yeah, you know, I was just about to ask you, but you already answered that question about the types of food that they seek, because we know that people who eat at night tend to seek carbohydrate-rich, fat-rich foods versus the leaner foods, and that's just the way the brain works in mm-hmm. terms of their cravings. And I was just wondering if that's the case, even with the nighttime eating syndrome. And on added to that is the fact that it's a desire, it's an uncontrollable desire to kind of seek these foods. That's right. It's a compulsion, which is the word that I use when I describe it to people, because it really is something that feels like it's out of your control. And you're right, you know, the kind of foods that are often sought out are the foods that feel sort of comforting and may cause some of those sort of, you know, surges of neurotransmitters in the brain that can be comforting when someone's in distress, which makes sense when you look at sort of the pathology of the disease, because it's a disease that's sort of based in this place of dysphoria. And then if you're able to sort of compulsively eat, you can feel better for a little bit. I see. And how important is it to manage this, you know, in the overall management of obesity? Does this come first or does the obesity management start and then this falls somewhere in the middle? My perspective is that if you don't treat the eating disorder first, it's very, very hard to treat anything else because eating disorders are, they interfere with medical treatments across the board. So I would say that Number one, being able to recognize this is so incredibly important and being able to feel like if you are struggling with this, you can talk to your doctor about it and you can have a safe place to be heard. This is a true disorder and it needs treatment. And I think that it's very, very hard to talk about sort of regular eating patterns through the day and incorporating physical activity when you have this ongoing compulsive food seeking behavior at night that's interrupting your ability to get good sleep. So I would really recommend that you are able to recognize and get treatment for night eating syndrome very early in the course of getting treatment overall, because I think it's going to be really hard to benefit from treatment if you have this going on. Yeah, you know, that's one of the reasons why I actually wanted to talk about this disease specifically, because a lot of physicians also do not know about this. I did not know about this till I actually learned about it in obesity medicine. And so it's important to understand because some of the physicians do listen to my podcast as well. So it's very important to know, because if you don't know, then you cannot treat it or you cannot address it. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think the thing to recognize is that this is an eating disorder. It's a compulsive behavior pattern that's based in a mental illness. So it's not a disease or it's it's not something that you can address by just giving them advice about willpower or lifestyle changes. It really does require a comprehensive approach, just like any other eating disorder, or else it's not going to respond to treatment. And that builds that feeling of shame in the patient, which drives them away from seeking treatment. Yeah, because all of our patients, they really trust us. And for us to know this is very important because if we do not know, we cannot help them. So I think that's very important. You know, I just had a question about how detrimental would this be in patients if it's overlooked, you know, in in the overall management of obesity? How detrimental is it? Is it like a mild thing or is it something that is like really, really needs intervention for the overall management of obesity? You know, I think that that's something that 
for some people, if they get general treatment for their weight and are able to start eating more regularly and get good sleep and address anxiety and depression, it's possible that their night eating syndrome could begin to resolve a little bit. I think there are other people for which the night eating syndrome is the crux of what's going on for them. And so if they don't get treatment for that, nothing else will really work. So I think that that's something that requires an individual approach and an open mind from the physicians and providers. And does the management of obesity itself, can that worsen the disease per se? It can. So, you know, I think we want to be really, really careful about people who have eating disorders when we prescribe a diet that leads to malnutrition because malnutrition drives and worsens eating disorders. So if you don't recognize that someone you're treating has an eating disorder and you prescribe a calorie deficit diet, you may actually be inadvertently worsening their eating disorder and worsening their experience of getting care. It can also worsen their obesity. So it is very, very important to be able to recognize these things and try to tailor treatment so that you can meet people with what they need. Yeah, I mean, having a paradoxical effect of worsening the obesity is not something that anybody would want. What are the early warning signs that people can look for? So I think that this is something where really the first thing that we can give people is the knowledge that it exists. And, you know, just like you and I have spoken of, that this is not a common knowledge thing. So I think that when people are seeking out care for their weight, having providers that can give them some of the language of what disordered eating can look like is really so incredibly powerful. Then letting people know that if they do have these disordered eating patterns, there is help. They can actually get treatment and they can benefit from that treatment. Um, So, you know, and then I think at home, if you know, if you are wondering about yourself or wondering about a loved one, you know, really noticing some of the things that I've mentioned. So not being able to eat in the morning. Certainly people have different eating patterns and not everyone eats breakfast and that's okay. But if someone is so averse to food in the morning that it actually makes them sick, that's something I would worry about. If you notice that there's a lot of food seeking behavior after dinner or they're getting up out of bed and going downstairs to eat or they're hiding what they're eating. For families, you may notice that food you bought is gone. It's disappearing. These are the sorts of things that you want to be curious about. And you also want to approach with as much open-mindedness and compassion as you can, because the person who is eating secretively or eating overnight is very, very shameful of it. And it's very hard to talk about it. And how does intermittent fasting play into this? I know this is the rage now, right? Intermittent fasting. So how does that play into this nighttime eating syndrome? Because there are some intermittent fasters who fast only during the day and eat only at night. So how does this play into this eating disorder? Yeah. So I have to say, as an eating disorder specialist, I'm not a huge fan of intermittent fasting. I've seen it go wrong very, very, very many times. But, you know, what I will say is that if somebody has a vulnerability for disordered eating and they are in an intermittent fasting cycle, again, we get back to the level of distress and dysphoria associated with the food seeking behavior. So oftentimes when people are engaged in intermittent fasting and they are breaking their fast, they're eating and they may be hungry and they may, you know, there may be a bit of distress about getting enough nutrition, but they're not overcome with shame about the amount they're eating. They're not seeking out food above and beyond what they meant to eat. They're not getting out of bed to go eat more. So those sorts of things I think are warning signs that if you were trying to do intermittent fasting, it's not working for you if this is your pattern now. So I think that the thing about intermittent fasting is that it's these discrete periods of when you're eating and not eating, and you are able to sort of stay within that and still live your life. 
with eating disorders, it takes over your life. Uh, that's important to understand. It takes over your life. It just becomes the focus of whatever you're doing. How is this managed? So number one is identification. That is so very, very important. And then really, honestly, people who have night eating syndrome, who have severe night eating syndrome, oftentimes need quite a bit of support to get treatment. So the number one treatment intervention is regular eating patterns. So helping them to actually start to eat breakfast and lunch and dinner and get regular calories through the day. And then the other piece that's absolutely crucial is sleep hygiene. And so for that, we both help people get to sleep with sleep aids like medications, not Ambien. I would recommend against that because of the propensity to cause amnestic eating behavior, but other sleep medications that can help with sleep, regular sleep hygiene and sleep patterns. I love CBT for insomnia as an intervention for interrupted sleep patterns. And then the other thing that's really helpful for night eating syndrome is daylight, light therapy. So I very frequently prescribe light therapy for my patients with night eating syndrome, and I have them do light therapy in the mornings when they wake up, and that can also help them to reset their circadian rhythm and interrupt the night eating pattern. You know, you just mentioned light therapy, and a question just popped in my mind. Do you see a worsening of this disorder in winters? That is a good question. And I would say that there certainly are people that have seasonal components. And because, you know, oftentimes night eating syndrome is also associated with anxiety and depression, both of which can be worse in the winter, there can be a seasonal component to it. And also, I will say that night eating syndrome is something that I think people struggle with year round. I see. And how effective are these treatment modalities, you know, the light therapy, the CBD or cognitive behavioral therapy, and other medications that you may use for the management of night eating syndrome? Yeah, I think in conjunction with regular daytime eating and with treatment for anxiety or depression, it can be really effective. I have had a lot of good success with treating night eating syndrome and helping people to really interrupt that cycle. Then they also get more restful sleep. They're better able to address their anxiety and depression, and they're more able to participate in their life. You know, we had talked about the questionnaires that you have on your website on the last episode uh, with respect to bulimia and anorexia. Do you have any of those questionnaires specifically for nighttime eating syndrome that people can uh, fill out if they think that they may be suffering from it? And do you have people who can help them with this? So we have questionnaires that target binge eating disorder. And I believe that there are some questions related to disordered eating patterns in terms of when you eat during the day. But I don't believe we have a questionnaire specific for night eating syndrome. And in fact, I'm not certain that there is, I will have to look if there is a questionnaire specific for night eating syndrome. Again, it gets back to, this is a highly under-recognized disorder. And so I think that listeners that are struggling with this should, you know, I really hope that they can hear that there is treatment for it, but they may have to really be proactive to seek it out. Yep, that's very true. I think we covered a lot of ground today. That's been very great. Dear friend, Do you know someone who suffers from this or do you yourself suffer from this? Let me know if this information was helpful to you. You can write to me at host at decodingobesity.com. And if you found success with weight loss or with any of these disorders that we've talked about in the last two episodes, this one and the previous one, I would love to hear from you and have you on my show, you know, so that we can highlight your story and we can talk to other people and see what worked for you. You can write to me at host at decodingobesity.com and certainly I would love to have you on my show. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Vasana, for joining me and enlightening all of us on Nighttime Eating Syndrome. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you so much. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. 
Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.